so a very good day everybody it is a very very hot day here once again um, as you'd expect the Costa Blanca this time of the year does get roasting hop uh, hop what did I say well it is a good word to use actually because as you put your foot down on the, um, the tiles it is absolutely burning your feet so yes it is roasting hop if you know what I mean. Let's go down to Playa San Juan and find out is uh, Rob Daniels also, also roasting hop? Oh, I certainly am Vince, uh, roasting hop today. Uh, good morning and good morning everybody. Um, oh, we're, we're getting into the really hottest part of the year at the moment, aren't we? And um, I've got my blinds on my balcony blinds three quarters down again uh, like I did that last week just so that the sun doesn't hit me directly while I'm um, when I'm sitting in my office. It cools down at night time and it's really nice to go out and have a walk of a night time, but um, during the day, I stay in as much as possible. Okay, well, we start with looking at uh, what we've got for the transfer, latest videos and latest rumours, that sort of thing. And uh, they're looking at the future of Jordan Henderson, uh, uncertainty at Liverpool for the Liverpool captain and it's quite interesting because your guy from Leeds um, with the dreadlocks he's the guy that uh, is in the frame also for replacing him now to be honest with you um, the one thing about Jordan Henderson is you'll always get a hundred percent but when it's 100% of maybe um, an injured player, it's not quite the same as 100% of somebody who is uh, spot on. So, um, Jordan Henderson, yes, I would be very, very sad to lose him, but he is obviously looking at the last five years of his contract. And unfortunately, uh, these major teams these days, they look in terms of their investment rather than maybe a season from a top player, top professional. Uh, what do you feel about that one? Well, there is talk about that, isn't there, there Vince? Um, about Jordan Henderson leaving Liverpool um, be because he's got a long-term injury problems, hasn't he? Um, but when he came on and he played at the Euros just recently, he, he played really, really well. But I don't think he can do a full 90, mi 90 minutes anymore. Now, there is talk about uh, Calvin Phillips from, um, from Leeds going to, um, going to Man U or possibly going to Arsenal. I mean, at the moment, as we know, Vince, at this time of year, the transfer market is all so full of rumours that you, you can read in one paper or from one news source, you can read something from another news source, you can read something else. But um, Calvin Phillips, the Leeds player, is sought after by many teams, one of them being um, Liverpool to take over from Jordan Henderson. OK, well, the papers, the websites are full of different uh, rumours and uh, quite honestly, I don't know about you, they bore me silly. So if that's the case, um, I hope you feel the same. We'll move on to other things. Are you OK with that? Oh, yes, the, the transfer rumours at the moment, Vince. We, we could spend the whole day going around in circles and we get nowhere because there's virtually nothing uh, is decided. And as we know, the sports press are, are just basically looking for stories. So, uh, yeah, I, th I think we'd better move on to uh, more concrete things. OK, well, I saw, of course, like everybody else, that the Olympic Games are supposed to be practically cancelled. Uh, and then suddenly we get a, a, a scoreline came through from uh, England. So uh, what did you get with that one? Right, well, the uh, opening event of the Olympics, I don't think it happens uh, until the weekend, but they've already started some of these events that um, take several rounds. Now, the GB football team, GB football squad, female football squad, um, which includes, um, it's got 19 English players, they've got uh, two Scottish players, one called Kim Little and one called uh, Chris Carine Weir from Scotland, and they've got a goal a girl called Sophie Ingle from Wales. Um, Northern Ireland isn't included because it's the GB team, so I think any Northern Irish female football players would play for the Irish team. But they actually started their, their campaign yesterday. 
and uh, they beat Chile 2-0. So that that's a good start for the, the competition for them. But again, it's it's difficult to find out too much information because it's it's it isn't really um, front page news, is it? So uh, let's give the, um, our best wishes to the GB uh, women's football team. They've had a good opening start against Chile, and hopefully they'll go on to win something. But uh, I'll say that they've started before the actual Olympics officially start. Okay, look, uh, we'll go to this guy Sanchez, uh, Joaquin, uh, I think you told me that uh, they call him, a Betis player, uh, and apparently uh, when you're looking in terms of, uh, we were talking about Jordan Henderson, and of course uh, his age, etc, 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 how old is this guy, and uh, what's the story with him? Well, yes, uh, Joaquin San- Sanchez, known as Joaquin, um, he plays for Betis, and he's originally from um, Seville, which is where Betis are from. It was his 40th birthday yesterday, and he's still playing in the first-team squad at Betis. Um, throughout his career, he's been around a bit. He he played for Valencia, he played for Malaga, then he went to it- Italy and played a couple of seasons there in Fiorentina. Um, he's played 51 times for the Spanish team, but he retired from the Spanish team even before they won the uh, 2010 World Cup. So um, at 40 years old, he is still going strong. He is a living hero um, down that part of the world. But he also does um, a comedy act with uh, a comedy duo called the Marancos. I don't know if you've heard of the Marancos or not, but they are um, a pair of brothers from the Seville area, and they do a kind of... it's similar to sort of Morecambe and Wise or something like that. It's, it's, it's a double act show. And um, Joaquin Sanchez, um, now, as part of his, his spare time, he sits around the table with them and they tell jokes and stories using their own version of the Spanish language. Now, the people in, in the civil area speak a very, in Andalusia in general, but in the civil area, speak a very special version of the Spanish language. They basically just say a couple of syllables of a word and you're supposed to know what they mean um, I can just about I can just about follow what they're saying but the local audience they're cracking their sides with laughter because he is a really humorous guy he always has been I mean when he's always got a twinkle in his eye he's always enjoyed his football but now he's coming to the end of his career like I say he was 40 yesterday he's still playing in the Betty's first team um, but his sideline is as a comedian with, um, I'll say, this comic group, uh, the Marancos. And I'd like to wish him the best of luck in his future because uh, he was, he has been very entertaining as a footballer and he is also a very, very likeable guy. Uh, was he playing in Wales at one time? I, I, I knew, no, I, he wasn't I, playing in Wales, I don't think. Oh, when you said Betis, I, I thought it might have been Betis Ecoid. <laughs> Oh, no, no. Betis, the other team from uh, Seville. Yeah, so I'm I'm pulling your leg. I I shouldn't say that, actually, because I've got a lot of friends who are Betis supporters and they wouldn't appreciate me saying that. Um, In Seville, you've got Sevilla, uh, where Sergio Ramos is from, and then you've got Betis, where Joaquin Sanchez was from. Um, They're both really good friends, actually. Um, They've known each other since they were kids, but they're from opposing sides of Seville. But um, no, no, he's he's a really nice bloke, and uh, wish him all the best. Okay, and you're going to tell us about another guy called. Um, it's not Jean Claude Van Dan, is it? Somebody different. No, this is quite an interesting one, actually. Um, it's a guy called. He's called. Um, he's, he's got quite a complicated name. Actually, he's called Jonathan Stafford Nugierin Van Dam. MBE and he is one of the people that you see when you watch the um, BBC COVID um, government COVID um, announcements he is one of the scientists who uh, stands there and he looks a bit like Penfold if um, anybody doesn't know who Penfold is just uh, Google it, but Penfold was the um, the partner of Danger Mouse, a cartoon series in the 1970s and 1980s, and he's basically got short spiky hair and big round glasses. Now, this guy 
muddles himself. He knows that he looks like Penfold because he was actually born in Boston in Lincolnshire. And he grew up with people calling him Penfold, so he he doesn't mind having that image. However, um, he is one of the world experts in influenza and epidemiology and all that kind of thing. The, The list of qualifications he's got, it doesn't make sense even if you read it. It's so complex. But the thing that um, brings him into the football spectrum is that he often uses football terminology when he's speaking to the public about um, how COVID might go. And he said things like, thing that that they've equalised in the 70th minute, we don't want to lose it. We've got to hold on. We've got to hold out for the draw and try and get one back against them. But if they score against us, then they've won. And those kind of those kind of terms. Now, I thought to start off with, I thought, is this guy taking the rise or what? However, he isn't. He's a Boston United season ticket holder. Now, a lot of um, listeners from outside of the UK probably won't have heard of Boston United, but you've heard of them, haven't you, Vince? They're no, yeah, I have heard of, these of them. Teams that every... Yeah, from, from Lincolnshire. He's from Boston in Lincolnshire. Um, it's one of these teams that everybody's heard of because sometimes they have a good cup run. Um, it's one of these well-known old teams. Didn't they start as Boston and Spalding? Yes, I think it, yes, it did. Yeah, because mm. Boston and Spalding are joined on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we're talking about the same area. But um, he's a season ticket holder and he was one of the first people who actually um, said that he would take the vaccine. Um, I think they're talking about the um, AstraZeneca vaccine that they're using in the UK. Before anybody else did, if people were scared of taking it, he would take it um, just to prove that he believed in it. But he uses a lot of of sporting terminology. Um, But also... His interesting background, I mean, he's called uh, Jonathan Van Tam. But his grandfather, um, who was called... His grandfather was called Nguyen Van Tam, nicknamed the Tiger of Kai Lei. He was the Prime Minister of the state of Vietnam in the 1950s, before the um, Vietnam War started. And when the Vietnam War started, they were on the, found themselves on the wrong side... The family relocated, and they relocated to Boston in Lincolnshire. Um, so this, this guy has got a fascinating life history for himself because he's got to such a high level. I mean, this is a world-renowned expert in influenza and such diseases. But also, he comes from a family of Vietnamese um, politicians who weren't involved in wars or anything, but that is... The reason he looks like he, he does, like I say, with these sort of like spiky hair and big glasses and, and slightly slanted eyes, is because of his Vietnamese heritage. Um, but the reason I found out about him is because he's a season ticket holder at Boston United. And the first match they played um, last month, it was a friendly, but when people could go back into the stadium, he went back into the stadium with everybody else until COVID struck. He was a season ticket holder since he's been a, a young man. Virtually nobody knew who he was. He was just another member of the crowd. Um, he, he's not a politician. He didn't push himself into the limelight. And he could go and watch a match in his spare time to relax. And nobody nobody took any notice of him, apart from the people who were standing around him having a chat about the match and things. Now he has got his own fan club. He is extremely popular in the UK um, because... He basically, he's not a politician, he doesn't make any political statements whatsoever. But he tells people his opinion on the COVID virus um, as he sees it in terms that normal people can understand. Um, so therefore, he's, he's very, very popular in the UK and he's a football supporter as well. Uh, Jonathan Van Tam. OK, nice one that, Rob. Very interesting. Um, okay, let's go next to uh, some bizarre football cards you're going to tell us about. Well, right, Vince, this is just a little bit of football history. As you, as you know, I'm, and most of the listeners know, that I'm a bit of a football anorak sometimes. And this is about um, 
in the early part of football, in the 1880s and 1890s, for example, um, teams, they didn't play in a league system um, as such, but they used to have um, cup matches. And what the entrepreneurs of the day used to do is they used to um, produce kind of business cards, which they would the, the winning team would buy. And it would say, for example, there's one here, in affectionate remembrance at poor old Swindon Town FC, um, because obviously Swindon Town FC had lost uh, uh, had lost a cup match. Um, about Sheffield Wednesday, in loving memory of Sheffield Wednesday, once a fighting cup team, but now dead and departed. And these became collectors' items, and they're quite rare. It's um, it's the first time that I found at least whereas football cards came like a phenomenon a collector's phenomenon um, there was one match um, in 1908 it was the cup final between Wolves and Chris, uh, Newcastle it was held at Crystal Palace and the result was an unexpected one Wolves won the match 3-1 so some of the card salesmen dumped 8,000 unsold um, Newcastle cards in a bin and somebody had them out of the bin, held on to them for years and years and passed them on to their grandchildren and things like that. Now, and these are worth a fortune. Um, but they put them in the bin in those days. There was one guy from Hull, <coughs> excuse me, who used to go all over the all over the country and he used to sell these cards at a penny a piece. And he used to sell five thousand three hundred at a match, for example, which would make him fifty three pounds. Which these days doesn't sound like a lot of money, but looking back more than a century ago, that was more than a lot of people in, in, in two or three weeks' work. Um, and just by going around and, and selling these cards outside outside of football grounds, when the opposite team had lost, now they were astute a lot of them because they didn't put the dates on. Some of them did put the dates on, and once the match has gone, then that's it, finished, isn't it? But a lot of them didn't put the dates on. So if it came to a re uh, replay match, they would have the same cards and they would sell the same cards after that match. But because they were so cheap to print, then selling them a penny each, he was still making about 10 times what, what he bought them for. Um, and it's one of these curious things when you look back at football. Um, I mean, I used to collect football cards. I imagine you used to collect football cards. I know my dad used to collect football cards. But this is going right back into the 19th century, um, and they'd already thought of that. But it was like these funeral, uh, in loving memory cards, it was like funeral cards. Your, your team is now dead, um, best of luck to you in the, in the afterlife and all that kind of thing. <laughs> and it was just something that uh, cropped up and I thought was quite curious to talk about. Well, when I was a lad, one of the things that uh, I used to really enjoy doing, we'd have the football league ladders and so um, you, you'd have a sheet of paper, card, uh, which you can get. I think it was the Beezer or something like that used to, um, w w used to do this, you know, as a promotion. And you'd have a system of slots going down uh, perpendicular so that you could s uh, cut out the name of your team and then you could put the name into the slot so on Saturday, you'd wait with your dad, waiting for the um, football results to come through, and then try and work out where the teams would go up or where they would go down, hopefully before the end of the programme, when they f officially gave the, uh, the league standings. And, uh, I mean, like a lot of lads, when you um, spent money on bubblegum, to get the uh, player's card and then you'll do swaps and sometimes you'd play games in the school playground where you'd flick the card against the wall and the player you were playing against had to flick his card to completely cover your card. Uh, do you remember games like that? Was that something you played? Yes, we, we, did, we did used to play things like that, Vince. I mean, um, in my lockup in, in England at the moment, I've got thousands, I would say li literally thousands, of football cards that came out of bubblegum packets. Um, not just my own, but my dad's as well. Um, and, yeah, you see something that if you're into football, 
I mean, these days they still do it. The panini um, stickers and things like that. They're still going strong. Um, but it's one of these things that people are into football, get involved in, especially when they're kids. And it, it, it's a great part of growing up, isn't it? I mean, I, 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 I've got Kevin Keegan. Do you want to swap him for Mike Shannon or something like that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I, I'm still into it. I, I didn't get one for this uh, Euro Cup because I wasn't that interested. And also, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in my fifties now. But uh, they were selling these Panini sticker books um, for the latest Euros. The one that I've shown you, I think that the one I've got full, is from the Spain 82. Um, and it's one that I've actually got all of the stickers in and all of the players from all of the teams. Um, because that was quite difficult to do because they used to, help, they used to hold certain ones back, didn't they? So that it was like the, the lucky dip. You could, you could get certain cards, prize cards, but they, it wasn't evenly spread, shall we say. Um, the people who were working the system behind it made sure that we all bought lots of chewing gum, or bubbly, I think it was in those days, with five cards in, but half the time they'd be repeats. And they used to keep certain ones back to keep us buying them. But um, we, we were all into it, and I don't deny them um, what they did, because, like I say, the business at the end of the day. But, yeah, yeah, I remember football cards. got great memories about them. I was very interested to hear that you had a Kevin Keegan card because um, the only way I can trump that is actually doing a gig with Kevin Keegan. And uh, it was when he first came to Liverpool and I was on Radio Merseyside and we went to uh, this particular club where, of course, I was like the comper and then we sat down, me at one table and Kevin Keegan over the other side of the room at his table he must have had the best part of uh, 90% of the people in the club waiting for his signature and everything. And I'd, I had a few stragglers at mine. So, uh, yes, it's nice to have the memories, but maybe not the status. OK, um, now, because it's a, a slow occasion and there's not that really that, that much to go for, I thought we'd have a little look at a few um, off-the-cuff things. Uh, one being, uh, I'll give you now, a strange but true football story. And I remember this first one, so it'll be interesting to see if you can remember it yourself. Um, and this okay. is a crazy one, but it's true. The Manchester City striker, who was then obviously with Manchester City, Mario Balotelli, um, was uh, after the training doing the autographs for the kids and he quizzed this youngster as to why he wasn't in school and the little kid explained he was being bullied and the Italian striker took action he went to the school with the boy and his mother and met with the headmaster to straighten the situation out now I do remember this because Spalatelli had a pretty uh, impressive sports car at the time and uh, the TVs actually showed you pictures of uh, Balotelli turning up at the school and then going in to talk with the headmaster but that really would be even better if we knew what happened next did the kids stop getting bullied for example you know what do you think about that one well, I think if uh, Mario Balotelli turned up um, to speak with the headmaster and the, and, and the bully's dad, for example, um, I think the bully's dad would probably uh, have told his kid, you stop bullying, because, I mean, he, he's quite an impressive figure of a man, isn't he? He is. But, uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't heard about that, but, um, yeah, that's a nice story about him, isn't it, really? Because uh, it's an off-the-pitch story, and it shows that footballers do get up to other things rather than just playing on the pitch. I was really quite surprised uh, when I looked at the stats with Balotelli because he only scored about four times for Liverpool. Um, when he came in, I mean, you, you expected marvellous things to be happening. Um, apparently he only scored once in the Premier League and three times with other uh, fixtures that the Liverpool were playing. So really, he, we don't have the best memories of him. No, probably not, because I think he was quite... Um a problematic footballer, wasn't he? Um, he, pl he played 16 matches for Liverpool. He, he played more for Man City. Um, 
he's still currently playing actually he's, he's playing at a place called Adana Demispor at the moment which sounds a bit like Turkey to me somewhere like that but um, yes I mean he, he's playing career in, in English football wasn't particularly brilliant but he made himself known didn't he because he was such he was such a sort of like large figure on the pitch um, quite often mixed up in controversial situations as well but uh, yeah, it, it, it's nice to hear that um, that he, he stuck up for this young lad. Anyway, yeah. Um, then I'll come back and give you another one of those in a few minutes. But next, I was going to look at the football league, which is the oldest competition in world football. Now, I did read somewhere that uh, there was one website claiming that football started in China. But football, as we know it, uh, certainly started in England. And the 1888-89 Football League was the first edition of the Football League, which ran from the autumn of 1888 until the spring of 1889. Now, for those listening in, don't forget, I'm not talking about 19, I'm talking about 18. So the 19th century is what we're talking about. And the season began on the 8th of September with 12 member clubs from the Midlands and north of England. OK, Rob, this is your first little task for the day. And don't forget, mm-hmm. uh, it's not for good or for bad, just to see how well you do. See what you can think of the first 12 members of the Football League. How many are you going to get? Mm. Blackburn Rovers. Blackburn Rovers is correct. So you've got one, Blackburn. Burnley. Burnley, uh, we've got two. Still, and, well, both of these teams are still playing, but not in, well, not in the top, well, Burnley are in the top rank again, aren't they? They are, they're in the Premier League, <coughs> of course, and Blackburn, uh, I think they're in the Championship still, aren't they? Well, we have an expert will tell us this in a few weeks, won't we? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> when we get round on, he'll be able to tell us all about the uh, championship. So, we've got Blackburn, Burnley, Everton. Blackburn, Burnley, uh, is Everton there? Yes, it is. So, we get three there. Well done. Accrington, Stanley. Accrington, Stanley. Now, of course, for those that obviously are looking at a map maybe and can spot these places uh, there were two teams in Accrington I think and I think the Accrington that we're talking about wasn't uh, I don't think it was actually Accrington Stanley this one it was Accrington anyway and um, can I remember (laughs) the the post on that one (laughs) yeah well no no hang on you've done very well Um, so three down nine to go where are we going next Preston North End. Preston North End, you have got that one, of course. Uh, it wasn't at the time of the wonderful Tom Finney, who went on to delight uh, everybody. I worked in Preston uh, for a company called Jenks Brokerage. We had an, an office there, so it was quite nice going past Deepdale and um, you know looking down and seeing the ground. You've got four out of the original 12 members where are we going right, next? I, I, sh- I, should, I should be able to remember these, Vince, because it's one of the things that you learnt when you were growing up as a kid. Yes. But, um... Bolton. I think Bolton Wanderers were in there, weren't they? You're going for Bolton Wanderers. And again, you've got it right. Bolton Wanderers. Bolton, of course, uh, before such greats came along as Nat Lofthouse, who, um, once again, I was very, very, very chuffed to meet. Sadly... He was coming near the end of his life, um, but it was up in Benidorm and we were doing a gentleman's uh, football night uh, with Eric. And um, yes, it was lovely to see Nat Lofthouse. So you've done well. You've got six. Can you get the other six? I think you can, you know. I should be able to because, like I say, these are ones that I've remembered. I should be able to remember. Um, From the Midlands. Yep. Derby County, Notts County, Wolves. Derby County is correct. So Derby, of course, who Brian Clough went famously to um, manage with Peter Taylor. Um, so yep. you've done well with Derby County. Let's see, have you got Wolves? Is Wolves on the list? Of course it is. 
uh, and that was before such times as we had such great players as Billy Wright uh, who went on of course to marry one of the Beverly sisters if you remember uh, the, the this particular man um, Billy Wright do you remember captain of England I've only heard the name and heard and, and seen um, clips of him play because Billy Wright was before my time but obviously um, a very well-known footballer from his time, and I grew up hearing about Billy Wright. Yeah, I, I never actually saw him play. Wing, wing forward, um, wing forward as well. So we go to the is, other. Is he the one who used to have, used to, have, used to stick glue to his boot and um, sort of like carry the ball on because it was glued to his boot? Was that, that Billy Wright? That I cannot, uh, I cannot uh, tell you whether that's wrong or right, actually. Um, but we go to the Notts County, which was the next one that you got to bring you up to nine. Uh, Notts County, mm -hmm. I can remember playing in black and white stripes like Newcastle. Um, not really. I, I, th can't I think they still do, don't they? I think they still play in black and white, don't they? I think they do. And uh, I mean, the, 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 this is a classic strip. And obviously, if you're one of the founder members of the first ever football league, um, then it's brilliant that you're still going. So um, we've got three to go. I'm pretty sure you'll get these. If I give you a couple of clues, uh, if necessary, but uh, three to go, all in the Midlands. I think they're all yeah, they're all Midlands things, aren't they? I think the ones I've got to go. Um... Aston Villa. Aston Villa is up to number 10. Aston Villa, of course. Um, some wonderful, wonderful players have gone through their ranks. Um, always one of the greatest teams. Uh, still a big, big team. Likely to do well in the Premier League this year if we go by what happened last year. So, um, yeah, keep your eye on them with two to go. 10 out of 12. Rob Daniels doing very well. 10 out of 12. Right. Um, Stay with your stripes. Stoke City. Stoke City. Well done. Uh, and there is a theme because it is all stripes, um, perpendicular strikes. Stoke City, of course, is uh, remembered probably as well for any, as well as for anything else, is the fact that uh, Sir Stanley Matthews finished his career playing for Stoke City at the age of 50. I mean, to be able yes. to talk about somebody playing top-level football, the wizard of the dribble, um, it was a man who, I have to say, I fashioned my style of play on because uh, I used to like the fact that he'd faint to go left and then he'd go round to the right and uh, he was just phenomenal and a nice gentleman, uh, a really, really yeah, nice the, man. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a really interesting documentary about his life, actually, that you can see on Amazon Prime. Um, which takes you through his childhood and also through his football career and then after his football career because he became like an one of the first ambassadors of sport, didn't he? And he went to places like South Africa to speak to children about the benefits of playing sport. He was a good friend of Pele and people like that, wasn't he? He was. Um, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, again, I, I can remember him while he was still alive, uh, interviews with him. But obviously, I can't remember his playing career. But playing top top flight football at 50 years old is quite a feat. Um, so, how, how many I've got left? You've just got one to go. And, and if you remember, I gave you the theme of stripes. I'm sure you're going to get it. Who have I got so far? Well, we've got the stars, uh, the stars of the Premier, as they were. They weren't called the Premier, of course, but the very first football league. Uh, Blackburn, Burnley, Everton, Accrington, Preston North End, Bolton Wanderers, Derby County, Wolves, Notts County, Aston Villa, West, Stoke City, and you've finished correctly on West Brom. The Baggies were yeah, always... I knew, I knew West Brom were in the first one, but I, could, I couldn't remember how many I'd given you so far from the Midlands. Yeah. But basically, yeah, it was basically like... Um, more or less like a, a, a Lancashire Midlands league, wasn't it? It was. And it was. A, a lot, a lot of these teams, Accrington, Accrington or Accrington Stanley. I think they still exist in one form or another, but they aren't up there. But most of the other teams, 
are still there, aren't they? Well, they're they're, I mean, it's, it's amazing uh, when you think about it because this is our heritage and we love our football and we see these teams still playing. So uh, who would you have thought might finish top of that particular first league table? Oh, I don't know between that lot. <laughs> was it there weren't any relegations or anything like that? It was just well, there were. Uh, what actually happened was the bottom four were obliged to retire and seek re-election at the annual general meeting, um, and then that was along with any other clubs wishing to become league members. So uh, the first season, the bottom four were Burnley. They were ninth. Derby County yep. were tenth. Notts County eleventh, yep. and Stoke were uh, in bottom position. So they had to go and get themselves re-elected. So who do you think would have won it? Then you're down to eight to guess from. I will put it down between Aston Villa and Preston North End. Okay, well you've done exceptionally. Preston, Preston were a really, a really good. They were one of the first teams, and they were really, really top-notch back then, weren't they? Um, I'll put it between Villa and Preston. Well, you've done exceptionally well, and don't forget, uh, our listeners, that I'm looking at the list. So Rob's remembered this, and it was Preston North End. They finished with 40 points after 22 games. Second was Aston Villa with 29 after 22 games so there was quite a differential between the top two Wolves were third Blackburn Rovers fourth Bolton Wanderers West Brom Accrington Everton and then the bottom four so uh, an interesting insight as to uh, what was happening in those early days Um, uh, very very interesting and of course like so much stuff it is all available for people uh, to go on uh, on the internet and look at these things now because um, say when you go to the opening day 10 of the 12 teams taking part in the first ever round of championship fixtures on Saturday the 8th of September 1888 so there's a date for your diary um, and although no league table was published in any of the newspapers at the time West Brom would have been the very first table toppers Uh, By modern-day calculations, Derby County would have been the first ever at the bottom. Uh, This was also to do with the the goal differences, you know. So, um, yeah, just as a matter of interest, I thought you would like that. Don't forget, uh, for our listeners, we're going to be looking at unusual bits and pieces um, because at this time of the year, it's the silly season, and there's not really an awful lot that you want to sort of make sure that everybody knows. Um, any of the transfers taking your, you know, transfer talk, taking any sort of um, note, like, for example, I noted this morning that um, Cristiano Ronaldo has been linked with Manchester City. Have you spotted that one? I think Cristiano Ronaldo has been linked with most of the major scenes throughout Europe, to be honest, Vince. Um, Juventus admitted um, a long time ago now that they just really couldn't afford his wage bill. Um, but they are, Juventus are also prepared to sell other players in order to keep Cristiano Ronaldo. But he's up for offers, and if Man City have come in with um, a, an offer that Cristiano and Juventus think he's worth it for him, then I can't see any reason against it. Um, but, yeah, there, there are so many rumours at the moment, especially people like uh, Pogba, for example. Um, he, he had a good Euros, um, but he's now 28 years old. He he doesn't... He's not happy, I don't think, where he is at the moment. They don't like him. I don't, I don't think he's particularly liked where he is. Um, so he, he could go at any time. There's also... Um, yeah, Christi- Cristiano is looking to join at the moment um, PSG, as far as I can work out. But um, but, but surely it's, it's like... The new really, boys. It, it's like all this is going into a direction where if you haven't got the money 
obviously you can't get involved the only people who have really got the money are the sheikhs or the uh, the americans but often behind the americans you'll find the chinese so i mean it, it really is a rather hypocritical nasty business and much as i do like watching people like cristiano ronaldo play i think to sort of earn the sort of money they earn it's just gone beyond the pale for me now um you know and that's why i think we're getting so many of these people like um messi signing back for barcelona at a huge price reduction you just can't can't afford to pay it especially if the fans aren't coming in now i'll, I'll tell you something that has happened over the last few days is that uh, gareth bale who was on loan to spurs uh, on the grounds that spurs paid half his wages and real madrid paid the other half of his wages Real Madrid have actually taken him back on again because now they've got Ancelotti as a manager um, his loan spell at Spurs ran out and now he's back with Real Madrid so whether or not he's back at Real Madrid as a pawn if you like to, to sell for more money or whether or not Ancelotti actually wants to play him um, we'll just have to wait and see but um, officially Gareth Bale is no longer on loan to Spurs he's back with, uh, he's back with Real Madrid Okay, I'll give you a strange story number two, and this is American healthcare. Uh, so, uh, during the 1930 World Cup semi-final, this one between Argentina and the United States, the American trainer Jack Cole raced onto the pitch to treat one of uh, his side's injured players. Unfortunately, he dropped his trainer's bag and a bottle of chloroform smashed onto the ground with the resulting fumes knocking him out cold. Uh, perhaps in a haze themselves, <laughs> the US would go on to lose the match 6-1. How about that one? That's a good story, isn't it? It is, actually, yeah. I think um, that you say the 1930 World Cup? Yes. That was the first one, wasn't it? Um, I think it was held in Uruguay, and Uruguay won it. But um, no, I hadn't heard that story about the uh, American trainer going up with a, with a bottle of chloroform, like <laughs> smell insults, to to bring the player around with a couple of smacks around the face and sort of like, have a, have a go on this, you won't feel anything, that kind of thing. Well, when, I, when I'm doing me Rock and Rupert show, um, obviously these days it's a different scenario, but before when I was doing it regularly, I used to uh, obviously swagger out with my rock and roll gear on and in my pocket I'd have a bottle of smelling salts so I'd then uh, you know tell the ladies this was uh, some beautiful perfume I'd got from Paris or somewhere and as they bent down to sniff it you could imagine their reaction um, I've got another story for you which I'll give you and it was during a match in 1975 against Leicester City Aston Villa's Chris Nickel enjoyed a memorable day out with four goals. The only problem, two were scored in his own net. The Villa defender remarked later on his memorable day out. So after scoring those four goals in that 2-2 draw, I asked the referee if I could have the ball. No, the ref said. This is my last match and I'm keeping the ball. Just by luck, I suppose my first hat trick in a Villa shirt, and I don't even get the ball. <laughs> that, that's a that's a nice story, isn't it? Oh, that is so. So he so he got a hat trick, and then he scored two own goals at the same time in the same match. Yep, that's uh, quite and the, amazing. And the, and the and the ref wouldn't let you keep the ball because it was the ref's last match. Yes. Well, um, that that is a nice story, but. I can imagine the ref saying, I'm, I'm going to keep this ball because he, obviously that that was a match. I, I hadn't heard that one, but it must be a historical match. I mean, I, I can't think of any other... I can think of players who've scored goals and then own goals in the same match, but not somebody who's scored a hat-trick and two own goals. I think that must be a one-off. I, so, I, I uh, must admit, I hadn't heard that one, or at least I don't remember it. Um, no, I've never heard that one. But they're all, um, all good to listen to, and um, I've got a... 1998 and the guy was called Ion Radu sold by second division side uh, Julie Petrosani to Valencia. I, I don't know where this is but it sounds like uh, Italy doesn't it but uh, anyway um, it, the fee 
is where things took a turn for the bizarre. Rather than being sold for the money, he was sold for 500 kilogram of pork with a value of 1,750 pounds. He uh, stated later um, that rather than having a good old pig roast, they would try to sell on the pork so that they could play the pay the players' wages. So I don't think that's what, that's not one from the big time by the sound of it. <laughs> no, it, it, it doesn't really sound like a, a particularly. Um, I mean, the player went for it, obviously, but uh, it sounds like a bit of an insulting offer, doesn't it? <laughs> by trading in, trade buying, buying a, a, a football player, a human football player, and trading him for some pork. <laughs> um, I, I don't. What was he called? John Radu or something like that? Uh, John. It looks like John Radu. Um, It'd I've be interesting to find out which country that happened in, because um, I would have a guess, just a complete guess, but with a name like that, I would say it's probably somewhere like uh, Romania or Bulgaria or somewhere like that. Yeah, that's it, it, my it thought. It, def it, definitely wasn't the, it definitely wasn't the English Football League, let's put it that way. No. OK, now uh, I've got another one for you, which I think you'll enjoy, and um, this one is to do with... Um, Chile uh, facing Brazil in a do-or-die qualifier for the 1990 World Cup. Uh, this is at the Maracana, and only a win would see the Chileans through to the finals. With his side trailing 1-0 to the hosts, Chile's keeper, Roberto Rojas, had a fleur hit the ground about a yard away from him. He suddenly threw himself to the ground with an apparent head injury. His side refused to play on, and the referee had no choice but to abandon play, with Brazil facing sanctions that could have kept them out of the World Cup. It emerged that Rojas had smuggled a razor onto the pitch in his glove and deliberately cut himself to get uh, play stopped. Rojas was subsequently banned by FIFA for life, and Chile were excluded from the 1990 World Cup. Now, I've got to say... I don't remember that. I don't remember Chile being excluded. Do you remember that? No, but I, re I remember the goalkeeper, the Chilean goalkeeper, um, because it was a big scandal at the time. It, the, um, I'm not sure. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, Vince, whether or not it, the flare going onto the pitch was actually set up by him or not. But he did deliberately injure himself. And he um, he was banned from international football because of that. They, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of shady goings on, isn't there, Vince? Let's face it. I mean, um, we're always talking about backroom shenanigans, but these were shenanigans on the pitch. And we're talking about the late 1980s here, aren't we? So we're not talking about uh, hundreds of years ago. Um, but yes, I do remember the name and that he got banned for deliberately injuring himself. But I, the, the circumstances that you just uh, told me, I wasn't sure about. But um, that, no, well, not, not fair play tactics, is it, really? No. OK, uh, now then, I've got um, something that I did with Eric uh, on Tuesday. And uh, basically, I've come to a website and I'm looking at what they claim to be the top ten footballers of all time. So, I'm going to give you um, enough information for you to have a guess. And the first one, which they've put at number one, is um, an attacking midfielder and second striker. Um, height is about five foot five. Born October the 30th, 1960. And uh, dribbling mesmerizingly. His scoring ability, unique and clinical and precise passes and crosses. Um, from an attacking midfield, he scored 345 goals in 680 games. They take number one posi position for him here. Who do you think it might be? Maradona. It is Maradona. You've got him right. Now, I've got yeah, to I say... Thought, I, thought, well, I thought about the, the age that you said and the, and the position that he played. Um... It, 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 it was the one that sprung to my head, yeah, basically. 
I've got, I've got to say, when it comes to uh, putting these people in chronological or sort of uh, order of merit, should I say, um, I think sometimes they forget that I think part and parcel of being a great player is also being a fair player, being a gentleman. And I don't think Maradona would come under those particular headlines very often. Um, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I thought the hand of God if you think back and see that they could really have uh, identified the problem there, they, they must have seen it the same as anybody else. They, they must have had officials watching. To let that one go, I don't think really did the world of football any great credit. How do you feel about it? Well, no, it didn't. But um, Peter Shilton came out of his goal area um, far too early. Maradona spotted the opportunity and basically did it like a volleyball move, didn't he? He smacked, he smacked the ball in the back of the net with his, with his hand. Um, until the day he died, Maradona, um, rest in peace, he never apologised for it. Um, he, towards the end of his life, when people kept going on and on about it, he had a wry smile and he said it was the hand of God. He knew that it was, he was cheating. Um, everybody knows it was cheating but at the end of the day not all teams go out for fair play do they um, there are a lot of teams we saw in the uh, recent Euro finals for example um, Italy will do anything to win they won't but they, they will do anything to win um, and so will Argentina and yeah, I, I, it, let's face it, it's a classic goal, isn't it? The the hand of God. Um, yeah, but it, it should you have see, been disallowed. A, exactly. It, 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 it would have been disallowed these days, but um, there's nothing we can do to change the, the, the past, Vince. No, of course not. Uh, we can discuss it. I mean, the thing is, if you don't discuss these things, you never learn from them. And it, Oh, if, yes, definitely. You know, if people are, are still going to be talking about Maradona as if he's the greatest thing since sliced bread, um, let's just teach cheating. Let's, let's go and do what some of the coaches are doing and go to schools and teach these kids how to pretend to fall down, uh, pretend how to cheat and uh, come up trumps. I mean, it really isn't... The way I see they do, the game. Vince. They they actually do. A lot of these um, teams in in Italy, for example, and um, South America, especially Argentina, because they've got a lot of Italian influence. Um, I'm not calling it cheating, but it isn't the rules as we would think them of. But they do actually teach kids to go down easily, um, the slightest touch or to feign being touched and going down um, that is part and parcel of the game of some of these um, of some of these countries it's not our idea of football it's their idea of football I think we're right I think they're wrong but there's no doubt about it that um, that they do actually train and practice for that kind of thing well well as I said the other week uh, to see a man deliberately stamping on the Ackley's tendon I think is uh, objectionable I mean it's foul and I mean it could be that man might never walk again you just don't know it's a horrible injury so for me yeah we definitely need to stop that sort of play I remember when mm. I was standing on the touchline down in Cornwall watching our John play as about I think he was about probably a 13 year old and this guy next to me was shouting, break his legs, to uh, this young kid going to tackle somebody, you know, break his legs. So I said to this guy, I said, are you seriously trying to tell me that you're shouting, break his legs, to under-13s? Anyway, he just looked at me and uh, didn't answer me and walked off. About a week later, I was going to do some supply teaching and I went into one of the schools in Cornwall and uh, who was the uh, sports teacher in the school? The very same man, which I thought was absolutely disgusting, quite frankly, and uh, I told him so, but, you know, it doesn't get you anywhere because they, they then think that you're wrong, you know. Shoot the messenger, isn't it? Um, OK. Well, yeah, you, 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 were lucky, you were lucky probably back in those days, which will probably be in the uh, late 70s, 1980s. 
you, you were probably lucky that you didn't get a smack in the mouth from it, to be honest, because the, the things back then um, were a lot worse than they are now, I think. Um, I, I, I remember people shouting the same kind of thing from the touchlines when we were playing. Um, and they were serious. And the professionals in those days, we mentioned um, a couple of weeks ago, Tommy Smith from Liverpool. He used to go in. He t- Tashi boy, wasn't he, from Liverpool? Yep. He used to go in in order to try and break the opponent's legs. He ended up in a wheelchair, actually, um, because of the injuries that he'd suffered himself as a player. And when the um, medics or assistant trainers used to come in with a magic spray, basically, basically just anaesthetised whatever injury he had. And he got, as he got older, the leg injuries he had, the lower leg injuries, just became too much. And he ended up in a wheelchair, did Tommy Smith. We've talked about uh, Norman Bite-Your-Legs-Hunter, uh, Hunter, the ex-league player, who unfortunately passed away from COVID last year. He didn't mess about, did he? I mean, he didn't, didn't didn't pull any punches. Everybody knew that he was going in to try and break the opponent's legs or or to give them a serious injury. Um, going back to Kevin Keegan, when um, the match against Leeds, it, it was a, I think it was a cup match, but in the late 1970s, when Norman Hunter gave Kevin Keegan a right hook, and it was a proper right hook. It wasn't just like handbags. It was a proper boxer's right hook. Keegan went down. Then a few minutes later, Billy Bremner, the Leeds captain at the time, the little Scottish guy, runs up behind Kevin Keegan and gives him a couple of punches to the kidneys, um, which you can obviously see in the replay. And Kevin Keegan reacted to that, and they both ended up getting sent off. Now, Kevin Keegan pulled his shirt off at the time, um, he was already sent off, so that didn't matter. But if you look at how muscly, how fit Kevin Keegan was in those days, I think that he would be one of the players who would still be able to play in the modern game if he was that of that age. Because he was super fit, wasn't he? He was. He was. Super fit. Oh, yes, absolutely. But um, you got little Billy Remner, a little Scottish guy, going up behind him and he deliberately punches him, gives him a double punch in the kidneys. Um completely unfair I mean and they weren't just little punches I mean they, they were like he, want, he wanted Keegan to go off so yeah the, the fair play in the old days in, in English football at least especially with teams like Dirty Leeds and, and Liverpool sometimes and all the rest of them um, fair play didn't exist really in our game either I think you've got to have a hard man in a team I think uh, there, really, you do need somebody who can dish it out, uh, because otherwise you get a clever player, and he's going to keep taking advantage of your back four, and uh, he's going to obviously score goals. So I don't have a problem with the fact that you're going to get injuries. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not a knitting circle, is it? It's a it's a game, and it's a contact sport, and so from time to time you will get major injuries. And for those that are listening that have played, you know as well as I do, when you play, you don't really think so much of the injuries. I mean, many players will have carried an injury and obviously for weeks on end, you know that you're not running at full speed, you're not tackling at full speed because you're carrying an injury. But that is part and parcel of playing the game. And, you know, I think you see that obviously at the professional level as well, don't you? Oh, you definitely do, and and you still see it today. But um, at the, the pre- professional level now, the, um, going back to the obscene amount of money that's going around in football, they seem like um, pedigree racehorses, aren't they? So they can't afford to have a player with his leg snapped in two, um, because that'll take months and months of recuperation. It might be a career-ending injury. Um, I don't know how Virgil van Dijk is doing. We'll have to, I'll have to find out, and you'll have to find out. We'll have to speak about that next week, maybe. But his injury that he got last year could have been career-ending. Um, 20 years ago, that would have been it. They they didn't have the technology they've got these days to rebuild people, if you like. Um, but even so, if, if a player gets a major injury, it is a really, really long and difficult comeback. You're right, and... Uh... 
just to give you a fitness update, he is actually almost ready to play again. Um, he's with the Liverpool players who are doing their pre-season friendlies. Um, so, yeah, um, yes, we do wish people that have been injured uh, over the years to uh, obviously recuperate, etc., etc. Uh, Rob, we're right up the end of our hour now. Uh, we've got just about 15 seconds for you to uh, say your fond farewells. And I look forward to speaking with you next week. Well, Vince, yeah, I think it's been uh, an interesting one today, hasn't it? Uh, nothing much going on in the actual world of football, but we've uh, covered quite a lot of topics involving football. It's been